are here, working in this place. I worship you. Good morning and welcome to Cypress Bible Church. Glad that you've joined us today. Uh, as we've been announcing, we plan to open next Sunday for public worship gatherings. And uh, many of you are anxious to return and others of you are anxious about returning. So I, I want to uh, share some guidelines that we are implementing as we prepare to do that. Uh, these guidelines will be emailed out to you this week and uh, post it on our website as well. Uh, but first of all, let me encourage you, if you are vulnerable due to age or underlying health conditions or you just aren't ready to gather uh, with a group of people quite yet, uh, then we encourage you to please stay home and uh, worship with us online. Uh, for those of you planning to attend, here are some of the facts, some of the guidelines. There will be two identical services at 9.30 and 11, uh, but no other programming at this time. Uh, in accordance with government recommendations, we'll limit attendance to 
25% of capacity at each service. And the ushers will be uh, seating you so that you can maintain physical distance between non-family members. There will be many staff, deacons, and volunteers prepared to assist you. And uh, for your comfort and safety, they will wear masks. Uh, we recommend that attendees wear masks in consideration of others. Uh, hand sanitizer will be available and doors propped open and uh, there won't be any bulletins or offering collection. Restrooms will be monitored and touched surfaces will be sanitized between services. Uh, we are uh, taking recommended precautions to enable as many of you who are able and willing to physically gather with us to honor the Lord. So right now, from wherever you are, I invite you to join me in exalting our great God. The word Hosanna comes from Psalm 118. It's a cry for God to save us now. Our Heavenly Father answered that cry in sending His perfect Son into the world. By His sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, He is the only Savior for all who believe. So let us praise the King of glory and sing Hosanna in the highest. Praises rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for When we sing you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away.
I'm here studying a semester abroad for seminary. And I'm just tagging along. So here we are at the Temple Mount. You can see the Dome of the Rock in the background. The Wailing Wall, or Western Wall, is there. And you can see the Mount of Olives and the Al-Aqsa Mosque also. So looking at the Dome of the Rock, sits on the Temple Mount on Mount Zion, which is also Mount Moriah. And the Mount of Olives, of course, where Jesus prayed just before he went to be crucified, where he suffered as punishment for our sins. And then he ascended after, I mean, he res was resurrected afterwards and ascended from the Mount of Olives, where he will also return again for his second coming. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 9, 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Such great news, everything that took place in this setting. May Yahweh bless you all this day in the name of our Savior Jesus, Lord Yeshua. Blessings from Jerusalem.
see how his love overcomes he has done great things he has done great things yeah oh hero of heaven you conquered the grave you free every captain you break every chain oh god you have done
those who have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, we declare the faithfulness of our God. That simple truth isn't dependent on whether life is full of pain and failure or success and satisfaction. The book of Lamentations has been called the saddest book in the Bible, and it laments when enemies reduce the city of Jerusalem to rubble and the horror that God's people experienced. And yet this dirge, which really is what Lamentations is, this dirge of defeat and death, also declares deep faith in the goodness of God. So listen to Lamentations 3, verses 19 to 23. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, the scriptures declare that your love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies. Your word says that you, O Lord, are a stronghold for the oppressed. You're a stronghold in times of trouble. And so, Lord, we cry out to you as our stronghold, our high tower today, as individuals, as a church, as a nation. We desperately need you. Lord, you declare that you are on the side of the poor and the oppressed, that you're the defender of the widow. So, Lord, we pray that you would magnify your power in these ways, that you would bring peace and justice to our land. Lord, our, our leaders, elected and otherwise, need your wisdom and guidance. So, Lord, protect them from words that incite and give them words that heal. Lord, we know that only perfect justice will come when you reign again over this world, when you bring history to conclusion. But, Lord, we pray that justice would come into this land, that you would work through human agencies to bring about fairness and equity that there would be a reduction of violence in our cities and unrest, that there would be an end to this pandemic, not only of virus, but of fear and hatred, animosity. Lord, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that your glory would be revealed, that your people would be light in this darkness as you call us to be until you return. We thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. So Lord, we declare again, great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. We pray this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow turning with thee. 
Hey, did you hear the news? No, I don't watch the news anymore. It's too depressing. No, the news about VBS. I thought VBS was canceled. Who told you that? I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, VBS is not canceled. We can't meet at church for safety reasons, of course, but we are still gonna have so many great things going on. Instead of five days of CBS, we're gonna have five weeks, and each week on Sunday we will have activity packets with puzzles and candy and fun surprises that you can pick up at our church in the Sunday mornings or at drive-thru parties in the afternoons. And we'll have live streams on Tuesday mornings, and you'll get to follow the adventures of our detective team, the Clue Crew. So join us on Tuesday morning and find out God's answers to life's biggest questions. We'll actually have videos come out on Wednesdays with crafts, science, music, games, and more. We'll be using Zoom on Thursdays for our small groups. We're going to gather online, build some friendships, talk, play games, and pray together. Wow! When is this happening? From Sunday, June 21st, all the way to Sunday, July 26th. Everything will be posted on our website at cypressbible.org slash VBS. You can go there to register your kids, watch live stream, videos, and print off papers and more. This year, everyone can help in VBS, although in a little bit different way. You can bring um, food uh, and pantry supplies to support CAM, our local ministry. You can donate funds to help be part of a um, community center construction in South Africa. Uh, you can be a part of the prayer team. You can be part of reaching your neighborhood and community. We need all hands on deck, and there's something for you to do whether you're in middle school or in your 90s. Pretty cool, huh? What are you doing? I'm letting all my friends know about VBS. Register your kids today. Well, that is good news that you want to share. Speaking of good news, today we're learning all about a guy who had some very important news that he needed to share. Today we tell the story of Jonah and the big fish. This is the true story about an Israelite named Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. A prophet would get a message from God to tell people. God often sent prophets to confront disobedient people. Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell the people that I am going to destroy them for all their evil. Jonah didn't want to tell the Ninevites. He didn't like the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the enemies of Israel. Think about how scary it would have been for an Israelite to walk into an enemy city and tell them that God would destroy them. Jonah did not want to go. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. So Jonah made a choice not to obey God, not to trust God. Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah made the choice to go in the opposite direction as far as he could. He got on a ship going to a city far away. He went below in the ship to hide from God and he fell asleep. So even though Jonah was a man of God, he tried to run from God. Do you think you can run from God? Do you think you can hide from God? Well, Jonah was trying to run and hide from God. God sent a huge storm to wake up his prophet. Afraid they would die in the storm, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw things overboard to make the ship lighter. The sailors believed that Jonah must have upset God and that God was causing the storm. And all this time, Jonah was sound asleep. Wake up! How can ye sleep at a time like this? 
Pray out to ye gods so that we may be saved. What have ye done to bring about this terrible storm? I'm an Israelite. I worship the one true God. What I read from you. The sailors were terrified hearing this. Why have you done this? What can we do to stop the storm? It's throwing overboard. I know this is all my fault. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him overboard into the raging sea. And the storm stopped. The men stood there in awe before God. They sacrificed to him and vowed to serve God. We will serve you, God. As Jonah was sinking in the sea, God arranged for a big fish to swallow Jonah. Out of God's grace, God saved Jonah from drowning. Jonah was in the big fish for three days. 18-year-old uh, Madison Bell located by authorities last week. The Ohio teenager had been last seen May 17th. She yelled to her mom, I'm going to go get a tan. I'll be right back. But Bell was a no-show for her tanning appointment. And uh, her unlocked car was found later in a church parking lot with the keys still in the ignition, her cell phone on the seat. So people were very concerned. And her mom said this is her, her senior week of high school. She wouldn't miss the events that we have planned. But Madison did want to miss those events. Uh, when the authorities found her, thankfully there was no foul play. Instead, she said, I left to start a new life. That's not an uncommon reaction with teens and adults. And maybe you've felt that at one time or another, that you wanted to escape from what was going on, maybe even escape from God. Today, we want to study the account of a man who ran and of the God who doggedly pursued him. If you've ever felt distant from God, if there was a time when you didn't want to obey, when you didn't want to listen, when uh, you wanted God to just leave you alone, then you can identify with the prophet Jonah. This is such a familiar story that it's easy to miss the nuances, and there are many of them. And to, to, it's so important that we realize and see how this applies to us today. So this morning we begin a series called Castaway as we go through each of the four chapters of the book of Jonah over these next four weeks. Begins this way, Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah was a prophet in Israel, so he was used to hearing from God, uh, receiving words from God. This time Jonah did not like what God told him. The Lord instructed him to travel to Nineveh and deliver a message. Now Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and Assyria was a horrendous enemy of Israel. Um, and, and Nineveh was a, a city of great size and influence, as God himself calls it a great city. Um, and, and for 50 years, it was the largest city in the world. So to give you an idea of its size, Nineveh was surrounded by a wall that reached 100 feet high. And the wall was wide enough for three chariots to ride abreast all the way around it. Uh, and Nineveh, though was also great when it came to sin. It was known for violence and cruelty and immorality. 
And uh, that was what was troubling Jonah. I'm not going to describe, historically there are a number of stories about the, the horrors of the Assyrians, and I won't describe them given children who are listening, but one historian called the Assyrians masters of brutality. But God cared about those people, and he sent a message through Jonah for them, but Jonah didn't want anything to do with it. Instead, verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah gets up when he hears from God, not to obey, but to run away. He doesn't casually stroll off. No, he runs like he's chased by an enemy army. That's the word that's used here. He doesn't even argue with God. There's no word that he, in Scripture that he says anything to God. He just doesn't want anything to do with this. And the direction he goes tells us something. Nineveh was roughly 500 miles east from where Jonah was. Uh, Jonah instead gets on a ship headed to Tarshish, which is about 2,000 miles west. So he goes in the absolute opposite direction. And Tarshish, which we're not exactly sure where it was, uh, because you can't even find it on a map, uh, but it was likely located on the coast of Spain. Now I want to point out a couple of details. First, notice what Jonah's trying to get away from. It says twice in that verse, the presence of the Lord. He wants to get away from God. He's trying to escape. And why Tarshish? Well, Isaiah 66, 19 mentions Tarshish as one of the distant coastlands that had not heard of God's fame or seen his glory. And so Jonah wants to get away from God, so he goes to a place that's not heard of God. See, Jonah is going off map to get away from God, the very presence of God. And also, the direction that begins to be emphasized here is downward. Jonah is always headed downward. The Hebrew word yarad, which means to go down or descend, is used twice in verse 3 and repeatedly throughout the story of Jonah. Uh, So Jonah goes down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And I'll point out more of these as the story continues. And I'll tell you why that matters as well. So I want you to ask, in your own mind, are there times when you have run from God? And let me suggest some ways it happens. It happens when you want to escape his demands, when you want to avoid obedience, uh, when you uh, want to evade some spiritual responsibility, let's say. And it might sound like this. Here are some ways it could sound. I'll teach children to love Jesus, but don't ask me to love my in-laws. I'll give money to missions, but don't ask me to be compassionate to a Muslim or a homosexual or an illegal I'll join a Bible study, but don't ask me to care about my neighbor. I'll attend church, but don't ask me to forgive him for what he did to me. I'll sing worship songs, but don't ask me to control my impulses. So those are ways in which we run from God. And notice how God responds to this attempted escape. Verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And notice, Jehovah controls the weather for his purposes. Uh, He throws a storm at Jonah. And the Hebrew literally reads, the ship thought she would be torn to pieces. 
the ship thought she was going to break. Now, I've been in some rough seas in my life, both in small boats and uh, big ships. Uh, I, to this point, I've never gotten seasick. I'm not bragging about that. It just hasn't happened yet. Uh, and I've been out with the, I was on a fishing trip with a bunch of guys and my dad out in the ocean. And uh, there were people getting sick everywhere. My father turned a shade of green I have never seen. I was fine. Uh, but, but I'm thinking particularly of a time I was uh, on a commercial fishing boat in the Atlantic. Uh, the two sailors I was with uh, were lifelong fishermen. And uh, as we left, it was still dark early in the morning, the seas were very rough. And, and I, I wasn't afraid because these sailors, they, they know better than me. Uh, and then as, as we fought the waves for a while, the captain finally said, I think we should go back to Haba. This was in the Boston area. And that was when I got afraid. Because when sailors get nervous, that's when you know things are bad. That's what happens here. The storm that God hurled at Jonah caused these sailors to start praying and tossing stuff overboard. Rabbinic tradition, not the Bible, rabbinic tradition says that there were 70 nations represented in the crew. They were crying out to this pantheon of pagan gods, but it wasn't enough. By the way, let me tell you this, that when you run from God, expect storms. God will generate storms in your life to get your attention or to change your direction or to protect you or to correct you. That storm in your life is not there to pay you back for your sin. If anything, it's to bring you back from your sin. Jesus paid for your sin. Jesus went into the storm of God's wrath for you, and he took all that punishment. And that means that God's wrath is no longer in the storm. Only his love is in the storm. So when storms appear in your life, it is very helpful to ask if there might be a reason for that storm. Or... You can do what Jonah tried to do. You can ignore the storm. Verse 5. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Now first I want you to notice this is the third mention of Jonah descending. After going down into the ship, he goes down into the hold and even more is that he descends into the unconsciousness of sleep. The captain interrupts Jonah's sleep to get him to pray along with everybody else because as polytheists, they want to cover all the bases. They didn't know which god was angry, so they want to make sure that all the gods were prayed to. And you might wonder, how could Jonah sleep through all this noise, the, the wind, the waves, the sailors praying, the ship tearing apart? Well, frankly, sleep is one way of escape. When running, we do all kinds of things to ignore the voice of God. We immerse ourselves in work, entertainment, sports, relationships. Uh, we medicate with alcohol or drugs or food or porn or buying or busyness. We don't want to wake up and accept God's mission for our lives. God sends storms, but we keep our eyes tightly closed and keep hitting the snooze button. I want to confess that there's some Jonah in me. Maybe you would see some Jonah in you as well. That ministry was needed, but you were asleep. 
Someone needed encouragement, but you were asleep. You could have been a blessing to somebody, but you were asleep. There might be some Jonah in you as well. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So the sailors are desperate to know whose fault this is, and, and they see lots, that is dice, as a means of finding out who it is. These dice were made reportedly from the ankle bones of sheep. And, uh, you know, God controls the numbers that come out. Um, Proverbs 16.33 says that. Now, that's not an encouragement to gamble. That's theology. Uh, In fact, it's an encouragement not to gamble. God's in control of everything. He's sovereign, even of the numbers of the dice. He's in control. And the lots point to Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? I think the, the sailors are kind of gracious here. They give Jonah a chance to defend himself. They just don't kill him or throw him overboard at that moment. They want to know uh, if there are extenuating circumstances. Now, it's interesting that God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh to renounce their wickedness, their sin, their, the Hebrew word is ra, their evil. That's what God wanted Jonah to do. And instead, Jonah himself becomes a source of ra. That's the Hebrew word here for calamity. Jonah himself becomes evil. He does evil. He he is sinful. He becomes a carrier of the very thing God wants him to warn others about. Sadly, there are too many so-called Christians and churches in the United States of America doing that exact same thing as we speak. They're doing the very thing that God has called them to warn others about. Now, responding to the sailors, Jonah says that he worships the God who made the sea and the earth. And this terrified the sailors even more because they know this God. And, and, and so they ask, how do we make this storm stop? In verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Now, I, I actually see this as kind of an unemotional response from Jonah. It sounds like he, he wants to die. Rabbi uh, Nathan says Jonah went to the sea only in order to commit suicide. Jonah would rather die than obey. Have you ever been faced with something so distasteful to you that life didn't seem worth living? Oh, please don't let that happen. God didn't want Jonah dead. God doesn't want you dead. God wants Jonah to fulfill his purpose. God wants you to fulfill his purpose in your life. Even the sailors don't want Jonah dead, verse 13. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. So these guys dig deep with the oars. They put great effort into this, trying to get to shore, but the storm just gets worse. They show far more concern for Jonah than Jonah gives to himself, uh, and certainly more than Jonah gives for Nineveh. But unable to get the shore, the sailors called on Jehovah not to hold this against them. And in verse 14, they pray desperately to the Lord. 
And they're afraid that God's going to punish them for what happens. But after praying, they, they tossed Jonah overboard, and immediately the sea grew calm. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, I find it so fascinating that through Jonah's disobedience, pagans worshipped the one true God. Ancient Jewish teachings say that the sailors then threw their idols into the sea. The Bible doesn't say that, but ancient Jewish teaching says that they they became worshipers of Jehovah. They prayed to the one true God. Uh, Jonah becomes a very reluctant missionary, despite his best efforts. The last verse of the chapter, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, there are a number of very significant words in this first chapter that are going to be repeated throughout, and the word appointed is one of them. It means designated or prepared. God prepared, God provided an escape fish. God put this fish in the right place at the right time to accomplish his will. And let me point this out to you, that when you run from God, expect him to pursue you. Expect him to pursue you. Jonah went to the docks and God was there. Jonah found a ship headed the opposite direction and God was there. Jonah bought a ticket and God was there. The ship left the harbor and God was there. The storm tore at the ship and God was there. Jonah slept below deck and God was there. The sailors cast lots and God was there. Jonah went overboard and God was there. We have a pursuing God. And he must be. Because in our sinfulness, we run from him. The Bible says that no one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. That's why God acted, in, acted first in love. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God came after you, calling you to himself, providing salvation for all who receive him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Can't earn it. But God freely offers by grace through faith in Christ. And the God who pursued you in salvation will carry it through to completion. You may be in rebellion against God right now. It might be a very secret, silent, quiet rebellion. You might be refusing to be obedient. You might be ignoring the call of God. You might be denying his will for your life. But understand this, that wherever you run, God is there. Tony Campolo tells the story, I've heard him say it many times, when he was visiting a college to speak at their chapel. And before the service, several faculty members took Tony to a side room to pray. That's kind of customary to begin a, a service is that the group leading it prays together. And these professors laid their hands on Tony's head and they prayed long and they prayed hard. And one professor began praying about somebody who wasn't there, Charlie Stolzfitz. And this prayer went on and on for Charlie, who was about to abandon his wife and his three children. And, and Tony, with all these hands on his head, being prayed over He said, why are they praying for this guy instead of me? That's what's going on in his mind. And the professor prayed, 
Lord, don't let that man leave his wife and children. Lord, send an angel to bring that man back to his family. Lord, you know I'm talking about Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives down the road about a mile on the right-hand side in a silver house trailer. Finally, the prayers were over. Tony spoke in chapel, and then he got in his car and began the journey home. And On the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he saw a young man hitchhiking, and he picked him up, asked him his name. He said, I'm Charlie Stolfus. Tony didn't say anything. But at the next exit, he got off and turned around. And Charlie said, where are you taking me, mister? Tony said, I'm taking you home. Why? Because you just left your wife and three children, didn't you? Tony at that moment spotted a silver house trailer on the right-hand side, and he pulled into the driveway. Charlie was astonished. How'd you know I lived here? God told me, Tony said. Tony said that that afternoon he led both Charlie and his wife into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God works in many different ways. Sometimes he uses visiting preachers, and sometimes he uses pagan sailors. Sometimes God uses quiet prayers, and other times he uses furious storms. But wherever you run, God is there. Stuart Briscoe says that God is ready to move heaven and earth to get his message through to those who turn their backs on him. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he loves you. And it might not be you at all. It might be your son, your daughter, your spouse who is running from God. And the the truth is you may be so caught up in praying for their health, for their safety, for their well-being, that you forget God may well want to use some great calamity to get their attention. Will you trust that God loves your runaway even more than you do? No matter who you are or where you go in this life, you're not alone. God is always there. He's the pursuing God. And may that be a comfort to those of you who belong to Jesus. And may that be a real challenge to you who are rebelliously hiding from God. He's seeking to engage you in the story he is writing. He's ready to empower you to do what he's called you to do, to fulfill his purpose in your life. So may you know the truth of Psalm 139 that says to the Lord, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Oh, you might be lost. Lost away from home. The Father is seeking. So if you are still alive and breathing, praise the Lord. Hold your heart 
benediction now from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.